Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Yeah, I can hear you fine. I You're almost it. listening to yourself in this thing. Is this a buffalo? <laughs> buffalo ashtray? Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm going to move it for my beer. For the smokers. There's no smokers here. Cheers, gents. Cheers, Cheers Pierre. Pretty good upgrade from last night. Black Label is an upgrade from Castle Lager. Well, Black Label is pretty good, actually. About the beer. But the fridge was at 12. <laughs> that was an honest mistake. No, but you can't, like, uh, when your clients arrive, you pour them warm beer. You can't say anything about it. You just got to <laughs> suck it up <laughs> and fix it the next night. So, Pierre, welcome. We had an awesome day today, huh? Thank you very much, Robbie. Yeah, uh, it was a pretty nice day. Uh, did some cool stuff. Yeah, well, if, you know, the the project that we funded with you last year that we funded right out the gate and, you know, it's all about feeding, you know, I guess the rhetoric we keep talking about is the the food, the meat, especially in Africa when you hunt and... Mm. We're on a hunting concession, yours, your mm. farm. You know, the people in the, in, I guess, in the West, you know, think it's just wasted. Mm -hmm. You just you just shoot things in the field, Pierre. Yeah. You cut off their head and you leave everything in the field, right? That is exactly what we don't do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the meat is very important for us. Lift that mic up a little bit more. How's that? Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the meat's very important. Um, yeah, like you say, not a lot of people know that, but everything gets used. Everything. So, um, I mean, straight down from the the best cuts to the intestines gets used. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's a bit of a misperception that everybody's got, or a few people has. And we took that meat today mm -hmm. to feed 40 kids in a hostel. 
uh, yeah. that live in a very, very small town of Pearson, mm-hmm. Eastern Cape, South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a project we started uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, yeah, now getting involved with Blood Origins, we uh, just kind of telling the story about it, you know, so that's quite nice. And what we put uh, together today, you think it's going to be a, a pretty cool story? Yeah, you guys do it pretty well, so th- I'm sure it pretty will be Pretty well. <laughs> we'll have to see the end product, but I think it's uh, it's going to be something special. So yeah, just to actually showcase it, um, that'll be nice, you know. Um, so yeah, uh, we feed those kids and they get some protein. Um, and I guess that's, you know, before I, I dive off into a hole, because I always dive off in a hole, having introduced you. Mm-hmm. So, PM, introduce yourself. Well, my name is uh, PM Wilman uh, from Pearson, South Africa Safaris. And, uh, Where are we located right now? Eastern Cape? Eastern Cape, yeah. Eastern Cape, South Africa. Uh, we've been in, in the Eastern Cape for about six generations. Wow. So been here quite some on time. this property for six generations. Yeah, yeah. Well, with the new one coming in June, there'll be seven. So exactly. Seven our generations. Baby's on the way. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we're born and bred here in these plains and uh, pretty pretty arid area, but uh, we love living here and we probably won't go anywhere. And good wildlife. Yeah, amazing. I mean, we've got uh, good hunting and quality quality animals, good people. And let me let me ask this question because I think it's it may be a little bit of anomalous, anomalous mm-hmm. based on everywhere else. Like we were in the Limpopo, and yeah. if there wasn't hunting in Limpopo, there really wouldn't be the abundance of wildlife. But I may be wrong here, but yeah, it it's not something that is a necessity to keep wildlife on properties here. Well, like for instance, if you were a sheep farmer down here, yeah. You still have wildlife intermingling with your yeah, sheep. Yeah, with the sheep, yeah. yeah. So you don't necessarily have to hunt a property down here in the Eastern Cape for mm. there to be wildlife. That's no, a true I, statement. No, it is to a sense, but still, I mean, if if we didn't have the hunting, um, those farmers wouldn't necessarily take care of those animals like they do today. Sure. I mean, we've had lots of concessions that, um, I mean, they always focused on, uh, let's say, meat hunting, you know. Um, and meat hunting that's not that's not uh, managed properly can go in the wrong direction. So if you can do a bit of trophy hunting and uh, uh, you know take care of the farmers, the farmers they take care of those animals. Yeah, but I so but I want to push that point a little bit because mm-hmm. we speak the truth here. Yeah, and the truth, unlike like in the Limpopo. Mm-hmm. Where if hunting stopped, mm-hmm. then cattle would come on, crops would come on, and you'd have the odd clip springer and, and whatnots up in the hills yeah. and whatnots, but everything else would probably be gone. Mm-hmm. Here, a sheep farm, and that's the Eastern Cape is well known for its sheep yeah. and the lamb. Yeah. It doesn't decimate wildlife. Yeah, that's true, but still, I mean, there are quite a few areas that are dependent on hunting. I mean, Absolutely. yes, there, there are sheep farmers, um, but we also hunt on a lot of properties that there are no sheep. You know, so similar to Limpopo as well. It used to be sheep farms. I mean, they had short cattle, cattle uh, sheep fences. Yep. And it, uh, it's transformed into, a, a let's say, a conservancy area. 
So more value in the wildlife than the sheep. Exactly. And that's where we are going as well because for many generations, we've also been sheep farmers. I mean, my grandfather, great-grandfather, they all were sheep farmers. I mean, we're still sheep farmers. But um, we're kind of heading into the, into the, let's say, the wildlife area of things. Right. Um, trying to get away from sheep just because the game has got more value. Um, and yeah, you need to make a living on your piece of property that you have. Would you say the wildlife is hardier than the sheep? Or the um, sheep pretty hardy? No, I mean, the wildlife, uh, it, they are pretty hardy. Um, they, they're very hardy, um, but still you need to take care of them. Um, I mean, you get these plains areas which, which game don't necessarily do that well. Um, springbuck do very well, blessedbuck do very well. But the, but the mountainous areas, I mean, the game, the, game, the game thrives in those areas up there. Right. You know, getting back to the whole meat component... You know, we saw the meat being delivered to the kids. We saw the meat being cooked today mm -hmm. by the old ladies. We saw the meat being plated. Yeah. We saw the meat being consumed. You know, it's so often in in a hunting scenario. Yeah. All you see is the meat delivery. Yeah. And everyone disappears. Mm -hmm. You know, it was cool to see yeah, the back end of the process, it, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that's why we try. I mean, we try and actually process it a bit as well. Mm -hmm. You know, um, dropping off uh, big carcasses is great, but to um, for those kids actually to have like a little bit of ground beef or patties and stuff like that, some sausages. That's uh, but it's more meaningful. And before we we delivered the meat, yeah, we went to the school and we delivered <coughs> some things, and I was I was upset. Not upset that we were doing something wrong. Yeah. But it just felt like it, it felt meaningless. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate to say it that way. Mm -hmm. But giving a kid a puzzle, a toothbrush, yeah. a sharpener, I was like, what, the, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. that's not improving their lives. That's mm -hmm. not, that's just a nice little happy that they're going to do for 10 minutes. Yeah. And they're going back to their, you know, the poverty level that they live at. Yeah. And I was like, what the, you know. No, it's, I mean, it's overwhelming almost because you, I mean, but you but can't. But I'm South African, right? I'm used to it. Yeah. It, and it bothered me. Yeah. No, I mean, for me as well, you know, you, you like, like I said, that's why, I mean, uh, this new project with Shane DeBrain, us sending him to school mm -hmm. together with you guys. I mean, that's. It's an escape. Yeah, that's. It's almost an, an opportunity to get, break out of that cycle. Yeah. But I do still think, I mean, besides puzzles and stuff, you also give them school supplies that they don't have as well. Right. You know, pencils and, and books and crayons and stuff like that. But it's still um, not like... No, it's not It's not a lot. I mean, but what can you do there? But then you said to me, but look at what we just did with literally feeding them. Yeah. Yeah, that's meaningful. I mean, those kids, they need some protein. And so we asked the... We asked... Uh, Tani, which is aunt in Afrikaans, yeah. Tani Anne. Yeah. What would, did they, what you? What did you ask her? Didn't you ask her something like, w did you used to have a lot of meat? Did you have any meat, right? Didn't you ask that? Yeah, I just, I just uh, asked her that they, that they have a lot of meat before we got involved and gave them some protein and stuff. And she said, yes, they had some, they get a monthly delivery, but um, it doesn't last them. So it might last them a week or two. And then they actually run to the school for funding. Um, but now we got involved, so that's like stress-free from them, you know, so that, that helps them a lot. And they appreciate it. I mean, they've got lots of meat now. They can't even eat it all. Right. 
you know, and it's not like we give them uh, uh, tons of meat. I mean, we give them a cool box a week. Yeah. And that uh, that takes them through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. You know, so that that helps the the boarding house a lot. It's interesting, you know, obviously through Blood Origins, I'm interested in getting people's perspectives on what hunting is and what it means to them. Mm-hmm. And people will see this woman that we're talking about because she'll feature quite heavily in the film that we're building out of this sun project, the meat project. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to ask her because she's, you know, you'll see, again, you'll see her. Her face is just really wrinkly. She has zero teeth. Did you notice that? No teeth. Zero teeth. Mm -hmm. But as happy, as happy as can be. Yeah, yeah. And... I was like, okay, we're going to ask her, we're going to get her on film, we're going to ask her a question. And it was almost like she didn't quite understand what we were yeah. asking her, right? Yeah. What, like, you know, what do you think about hunting? Yeah. That's what we asked her. And her response was? Well, she didn't ha- really have a, a perspective on it because it's so, for her, it's actually like a... She couldn't understand the question yeah. because it was like... It's like natural. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, uh, it's like a cow. I mean, the cow, something needs to die to for you to eat it. So it wasn't like she... It wasn't like she had a perspective Yeah. that hunting... She didn't have a perspective that there was any sort of negative connotation yeah, associated no with idea. hunting. Yeah, and that's how it is in these areas. I mean, hunting is good. It brings them, I mean, it brings in protein. So, I mean, these people, they uh, they need protein. Uh, our local community, yeah. So yeah, I asked her the question: What is the diff? Is there a difference? <laughs> I said it like this: Is there a difference between killing a sheep mm-hmm. and killing a springbok? Mm-hmm. And obviously, I was uh, I was after a a very metaphorical. Yeah. Oh no, there's no difference. Meat is meat, kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. And her response to us was, "No, you." <laughs> she said, uh, "You slit you slit both fr- uh, throat." That's what she said, yeah. Yeah, she was, it was all about the action of killing. Like, yes. yeah, of course. What are you talking about? You kill <laughs> yeah, the sheep the yeah. same way you kill a springbok. You, sli- exactly. you slice its throat. She said you shoot the springbok yeah. and then you slit its throat yeah. for it to, to bleed out a bit, you know. Because that's what you, I mean, that's how you get the meat. So she never thought that it's a bad thing, you know. That's just how they do it. Yeah, it was, it, it was a very insightful in my mind in that, Again, like you just said, in this community, there is no perspective on, there is no negative perspective on hunting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, like lots of, in Africa, there's not much of a choice. Like you need to eat. So, and meat is important. You can't uh, be a vegetarian, yeah? I <laughs> know what you're going to eat. So, I mean, so those that, that's an interesting point. How many... Is Someone said it. Jack may have said it, or Lewis in this trip. Someone said, "How many vegetarians and vegans yeah. are in African and Asian cultures?" You know, and I mean, I've lived here my whole life, and we've lived here our whole lives, and very, very few. Like very few people in these, especially in the rural areas, like your, you know, in Pearson, everybody eats meat. How can you not eat meat? What are you going to eat? I mean, you're not going to... You might just starve to death. I don't know. Why do you think that there is a lack of vegetarianism or veganism 
in Africa. Let's just use Africa because you, that's what you know. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, what else are you going to eat? It's not like we have so many choices. If you're a poor person and you're not privileged and you're not sitting in the big city, um, there's no choice. Like you live day to day and you try and get a piece of meat or a potato and that's what you eat. Like even up north in the northern areas, it's the same deal. There's chickens, there's goats, there's game, whatever they can find, they'll eat it. You can't expect those people to all of a sudden become a vegetarian or a vegan. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'll starve to death. Mm -hmm. It's not that they are. I mean, we're just not that privileged, I assume. I, I totally agree with you. I think that vegetarianism and veganism, and don't get us wrong here, I'm not saying that either of them are bad. No, no, no. But it's a choice that is a choice for very privileged individuals. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It, it's, yeah, it's interesting to think through that. And, mm. you know, when, when people, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's not just Africa. I think it's a rural-urban divide Yeah. when that comes. To, you know, for instance, even Mississippi. Mississippi has the highest obesity rate in America. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because we're probably one of the, we're the you know normally either forty ninth or the fiftieth poorest state in the nation, mm. and that translates to very cheap junk food. Exactly. Yeah. Which typically is not vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. Not that there is a correlation there. I'm just making yeah. an assessment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I just don't think. Uh, I mean, Africa is a poor continent, and you don't have as much choices. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think they even think about becoming a vegan or I mean getting meat is just a natural process so thank you for the segue of choices so you have chosen on this property yeah to hunt yes sir why did you not choose ecotourism <laughs> it's such a rural area it's so rural I mean to get a, a photographer I mean I, I, I think uh, photography is awesome mm -hmm. and I think uh, Big game reserves are, it's a very good conservation tool. Yep. Um, but it does not work everywhere. Yep. Like this is just like hunting. Just like hunting. I mean, if you don't have to, let's say, for instance, Victoria Falls, you don't have to turn that into a hunting concession. I Correct. mean, it's good for, for ecotourism. Correct. You know, and same, you know, uh, let's say a 45 minute radius around Port Elizabeth, which is two hours south of us. That's a very good area for ecotourism. It's right it's close to a big airport. But here you've got a four-hour drive into the desert Karoo. And it's just difficult to get people here to come and take pictures at a springbuck and a kudu and a hartebeest. When you can do it two hours outside of Port Elizabeth. And besides that, you can see elephant, buffalo, rhino, giraffe quickly. You know, And it's a big five-star lodge. Um, so that's what I, I always thought that, that why would a guy come up here and take a picture of those animals? Your typical photographer, um, I'm not speaking for everybody here, but they want to see the big five. Mm -hmm. They want to, sure. if you're coming to South Africa, you want to see the big five. Sure. You don't necessarily want to see a clip springer or a vowel rebuck or a mounted rebuck or something like that, you know, or a black wildebeest, um, which is found uh, quite commonly in these areas. So yeah, that's why we didn't uh, didn't get in e into ecotourism. 
because uh, conservation wise it just wouldn't i don't think it would work unless you have a hell of a marketing team and and some huge funds to back you yeah it's you know again hunting is not the panacea it's a tool yeah. for wildlife conservation exactly. ecotourism is that too but you know the s- several studies have shown that you need i think it came out of namibia 77 you need for every hunter mm-hmm. that comes on this property yeah and here's the other thing that a lot of people that that cha- that causes this number to be the way it is yeah so for every hunter in namibia it was 77 tourists yeah to equal it exactly but those 77 tourists don't come like a hunter typically they come and they they have a base they they're not doing any you know quote unquote add-ons yeah they pay they pay they get their two nights stay they mm-hmm. do their game drive they do their game drive and that's it they may add a walk let's just let's just call it for it they may yeah. add a game walk or yeah. but as a hunter that comes in you know more often than not the model is the hunter's coming in he's he's after one or two or three or four species yeah ends up shooting seven eight species mm-hmm. because it's a game of opportunity yeah and it's also this guy has traveled you know a day and a half to get to or this gal has, has a day and a half to get to this place mm-hmm. he doesn't know or she doesn't know if he's ever or she's ever gonna come back yeah the opportunities here yeah no i mean hunting it's a huge spin-off i mean it starts let's say with the with the with the international hunter obviously flights and coming in here and shooting an animal the meat um the farmer gets a cut i mean the people that work on the farm it's just a huge huge runoff and besides that lots of them also do ecotourism like lots of our clients and we focus on that as well is uh you do like a seven day hunt then you go on a five day tour down the garden route to cape town Mm -hmm. or you go to victoria falls or kruger national park yeah so there's also lots of that like they don't necessarily just come in to hunt and then and then go back home so um yeah it's a, just a huge spin-off uh, obviously they spend quite a bit more money and uh it it runs down you know to the very bottom mm-hmm. to the to the kids in the in the little town that gets the meat yeah you know yeah and i think that's what a lot of people you know we try to tell people those stories through blood origins is that these people who are interested and i say people very loosely yeah more often than not it's it's policy legislation legislators and states and in big governments like germany now or the uk mm-hmm. that are like yeah we need to ban trophy hunting yeah and it's like okay i get it right i see you trying to appease a certain sector of the population that says killing animals is murder mm. i see it mm-hmm. okay but one you don't know what hunters who hunters are you're being influenced by the bad apples yeah that are you know strewn across social media yeah you are you're not when you enforce a ban you're you're signing the death warrant more often than not on the wildlife than oh improving the wildlife yeah, for sure but it's those it's that pyramid it's that knock-on effect that you just described yeah that I think as as far as South Africa goes, if hunting ever stops in this country, I would just see the wildlife numbers plummeting. Because most of the, there's lots of privately owned property in South Africa. And those, the, the, the owners of those properties, it needs to be financially viable. 
um, to have a property like that. And you can't sit on a big property and not get any kind of income. So if you can't get income out of wildlife, they'll just go back to sheep farming, back to cattle, like it was, let's say, 50 years ago. I mean, just taking our property, uh, when my grandfather was here, I mean, the, the, the springbuck and the bleshbuck and the kudu, those animals almost had no value. It was just the meat. It was just uh, bultong, jerky. You know? So let me, let's push, let me ask you a little bit about that. So yeah. let's make the assumption that trophy hunting mm-hmm. is banned. So an American client could not come into South Africa. And, that, and, and there hasn't been, let me be, be clear here, there has yeah. not been a, p- a piece of legislation proposed yeah. that will ban all trophies. Yeah. Typically, it's very isolated to the iconic African yeah, exactly, species. Exactly. But let's make an assumption. All trophies cannot get imported. Yeah. You don't think you could run your wildlife operation and keep wildlife with biltong hunters? No way. No way. Uh, biltong, hunt is, uh, biltong hunting has got its place. Uh, you know, it's biltong hunting slash uh, culling, management hunting. That's right. But unf- it's, just not so su- it's just not sustainable. To just give people an idea, do you cull on this property? Yeah, we do cull, yeah. You have to cull. Exactly. Why? Well, I mean, just obviously the numbers grow. So with your springbuck and your blessbuck, uh, some blue wildebeest, uh, the numbers always just, just get so high. So, we so you're do trophy hunting. So uh, that's the key point. Yep. Trophy hunting is not causing your populations to decline. Oh, never. Trophy hunting doesn't touch the population. I mean, it literally doesn't touch it. If you've got good areas to hunt, let's say you're hunting in a, let's say you've got a, a, a 10,000 hectare property that you can hunt on. You're not going to shoot 100 kudu bulls on there. You'll shoot like five bulls there or six kudu bulls there. I mean, those six kudu bulls won't even, it's almost like it doesn't really matter because there's lots of kudu. You know, 10,000 hectares, let's say there's 800 kudu on and the you'll property. And you'll have to cull. Yeah, you'll cull, you'll cull as well. You'll do some culling as well. So but, the then, but then you manage it. Like sometimes there's a drought. So then you might leave that property for a year or two. So the numbers can pick back up again. Yeah. So you, d- you wouldn't necessarily cull every single year. I mean, if it's a couple of good years, then you'll do some culling. But the culling is, potenti- is a revenue stream that yeah, you is. can use. It is, yeah. I think in Limpopo, the guy up in Limpopo, Howard Knott, said to me, I think he said he had like 64 biltong hunters to four, gosh, I could be getting the numbers wrong. But it was almost like 25%. Yeah. It was, it was a ridiculous difference. Yeah. It was almost like 10 times the amount of biltong hunters than trophy hunters. Yeah. For 25% of what the trophy hunters brought to the property in terms of value, dollar value. 100%. I mean, my dad started here hunting in Pearson with Bolton hunters in 1986. Okay. And I mean, those guys shot a lot of kudu in those days. That was before trophy hunting. Yeah. In, in this area. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there was trophy hunting in different areas, but in this area, it started with Bolton hunting. And the numbers just don't match up. I mean, you'll get hundreds of biltong hunters and shoot hundreds of animals. Just to put a pause quickly, because a lot of our audience is American. Yeah. Biltong. Sorry, biltong is jerky. Jerky. <laughs> yeah, Correct. so meat hunters. Meat hunters. Meat hunters, yeah. And 
it's definitely got its place. I yep. mean, I also meet hunt. Yep. And then lots of my friends meet hunt. It's definitely got its place. But uh, to go and shoot in certain areas, uh, meat hunting, it's not sustainable. Like, uh, you'll get, just like you said, 25% of the uh, the hunters and shoot and you'll get 25 or you get 25% of the amount of biltong hunters that are trophy hunters you'll make uh, say much more you'll do much better mm-hmm. out of it so you'll shoot much less animals and uh, the revenue that comes in it's, it's much better so what you're saying just to get to a, f- a fine point on this if trophy hunting was banned, you would not be able to sustain the wildlife on this property just by culling management. No, and we saw it last year in COVID. I mean, last year in COVID, there was no American hunters, so we had to bring in some 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 biltong hunters, and we had six hunters, six groups. Sorry, not six hunters, six groups. And by the end of those six groups, I mean we were done. We couldn't really shoot anymore because we reached our numbers that we wanted to reach mm-hmm. and which is still very good mm-hmm. but we can't do it for two three years in a row right when you get to year four or five you'll have nothing left you know if you if you overdo it right but if you if you shoot the same amount of animals that the trophy hunters do you won't make it financially yeah you'll never make it if you get two or three uh, uh, meat hunters in a year i mean that's just not it won't work so to finish off this podcast safe to come to south africa safe to come hunt in south africa oh man, we are so privileged in this country uh the hunters are coming in and it's a it's a safe place the whole of south africa people take care of you uh regarding covid yeah obviously there's a lot of stuff in the yeah, <laughs> going Pearson, on in the news well pierced in eastern cape there is sanitary spray everywhere everywhere in the schools in the hostel we were just in yeah that's a town of eight thousand people in the middle of literally five miles east of the middle of nowhere yeah. and there's no cases yeah we we're privileged uh you know in, in in the four towns that are reasonably close to us i mean there's almost no cases in in the hospitals so that's very good uh yeah, we've got. They say we've got this new strain, but we just don't see it on this side. Mm. Um, so yeah, very safe uh, traveling. It's uh, definitely use an agent, um, but still, I mean, the, the planes are empty, the airports are empty, smooth traveling. Yep. Uh, yep, that's what we found. Yeah. So definitely safe to come to South Africa. Yeah, I would encourage it. It's, um, Especially this time, you know, you'll have the whole place to yourself almost. All the, air, the airport is yours. Airport's <laughs> yours. Yeah, it's been so incre- it's actually been quite surprising. Yeah. Much more strict in terms of masks and sanitizing spray and yeah. temperature checks. It's it's a thousand times more stringent than America. Yeah. No, for sure. But yeah, if you if you I mean you. Keep your social your social distance from other people and wear your mask and take care of yourself. You'll be fine. Yeah, um, that's what most of the hunters are. They're very very keen to come to South Africa. So we've had a bunch of groups already, and they smooth travels, and they just so glad they could make it over. And we're just so grateful that we could actually have some hunters. Yeah. So 
once the guys are starting to see that the guys are coming in, it'll get easier and easier. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, cheers, Pierre. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for Robbie. the day. Appreciate One more day it, to go. Thank you very and much. Uh, Appreciate you guys coming. No, it's been a great pleasure. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta and Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinners. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.